SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show number 14 with guest Adam Kogan. So a guest this afternoon is Adam Kogan. Adam's the Chief Architect at SSW, uh, Microsoft Certified Partner specialising in Office and .NET solutions. At SSW, Adam's been deploying custom solutions for businesses across a range of industries such as government, banking, insurance and manufacturing since 1990. For clients such as Microsoft, Quicken and the Fisheries Re- and Research and Development Corporation. Adam develops in Microsoft technologies such as SQL Server and reporting services, OLAP, WinForms and WebForms using Visual Studio with both VB.net and C Sharp, Access, Outlook, Exchange Server and now Office 2003 using N-Tier Architecture. Adam is one of only two regional directors in Australia, so welcome Adam. Oh, I agree. How are you going? <laughs> Pretty good. It's sort of funny reading the one of only two regional directors, yes, now being the other other RD in Australia. That's great. So can I get you to They're tell like us... brothers now. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Just, I think people don't understand the distance between the towns here, but, uh, yeah, no, apart from that. The, well, I'm actually down here in Canberra today. In Canberra today, and, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm in, in, in town in Brisbane. I've been yeah, and uh, I'm actually obviously from Sydney, as you know. Um, yes. Sitting sitting here in the hotel, just about to have a quiet conversation with my fellow RD and uh, in <laughs> uh, Mitch Denny. And excellent, so Mitch Denny excellent well. value. That's great. Uh, can I get you to start by telling us how you came to be involved with SQL Server at all? SQL Server or SQL Server reporting services? Well, actually both. Okay. All right. Uh, well, SQL Server, um, basically my first uh, project on that was uh, 6.0 when it came out, and uh, mm-hmm. we were doing an application for uh, one of the, uh, well, actually Australia's very first ISP, and uh, they'd, hit, uh, they'd hit the wall on a, the database, and so we had to um, move it into SQL Server 6.0. So my first experience was that, and realising that... Um, it didn't automatically grab the file size when it uh, when it exceeded. Yeah, I think that was one of so the first things from, most people find. Yeah. Then we moved. Uh, and then you had to learn some nasty things about TempDB, and uh, we moved it up mm-hmm. to six point five, and then to SQL Server seven. We ended up doing uh, a lot of migrating of um, uh, access systems to SQL Server. We, we uh, were involved in the upsizing wizard for the access team. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, basically, uh, then came along reporting services, uh, which I would consider like a separate, separate tool from a separate team. Really, I yeah. started to utilise the infrastructure of uh, SQL Server, but uh, mm-hmm. I see it as a completely different product. Really, yeah. Well, one of the things that Adam's well known for is 
having uh, good sets of rules for development on uh, on his website at SSW. I'll provide a link for that later. Um, there's a set of rules to do with reporting services. So what the intention was today, we'll sort of wander through a number of those rules. So the first one you had, as you said, do you check that RS Configuration Manager is all green ticks? Yeah, I think uh, one, of, one of the things about healthy software is the uh, ability for you to basically look at a series of checks and see that things are running well. I think one of the best um, the best things that came out of programming was essentially, um, well, for the .NET community, it was, was NUnit. So basically you can mm-hmm. look at your code and check fragile code and things like that, and you can see a whole series of green green ticks, and when you saw something that was red, and it's pretty clear there's something something going wrong here. Uh, yeah. I, I like the way reporting services have added this configuration feature, um, so you don't have to be an expert to know what's wrong. Essentially, with 2000, you really had to know, or I better check, is uh, running, is, uh, is the database installed, is it pointing to the right spot? Um, a whole series of, of uh, bits and pieces, because people didn't really understand this. Uh, reporting services consisted of, you know, uh, um, multiple different parts to it. You know, they didn't yeah. understand uh, about the service as well running that, that needs to be running. And so uh, sometimes some guru would set up their machine and then later on you reboot it um, after some uh, some for some reason, and often you need to. Uh, uh, find you know you have to work out all the different bits. So what they've d- done is they've come up with this nice interface that has a whole series of green ticks. It's a it's a little bit like uh, NU, I guess, if you think about the UI. And uh, uh, I think this is you know the very first thing that you should do is go to your server and check you've got it all set up there. One of the things mm-hmm. I typically see is that the email settings has a cross on it, and uh, yeah. you know they're they're paying for reporting services, but they're not even using all the functionality they paid for. Yeah. Actually, the other one that I must admit seems to be one of the le- least understood is also the encryption keys area. Yes, mm. yeah, definitely. And so yeah, it's another one that may or may not be configured right. But uh, the the next thing you had was about checking out the built-in samples. Yeah, I think this is kind of unfortunate, but we know why uh, Microsoft don't install any of their, their default databases and things anymore for mm. security reasons. Uh, but but really, to as a developer to get up and running on your box, you the very first thing you should really do is get uh, get your adventure works the reports running, get your get your models running, so then you can try using the report builder. So uh, uh, so so what I did is I ended up writing a knowledge base article uh, that kind of shows uh, the series of steps. You've got to open up a, a series of projects, very deep 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 down into uh, one of the sample directories and yeah. um, you know, get those up and running, get them deployed and, and check them out. Do you think realistically in the product that maybe the developer edition should have those on by default and, and not try and just immediately mimic the enterprise edition install? Uh, I, I, I don't mind if it's not on by default, but I'd like it to be... Uh, a lot more obvious. I don't think yeah. it should be more than a, you know, uh, you know, the MSI files that you've, you've got to find and then uh, they run and they extract and uh, then you've got to open up the project, you've got to know to right-click deploy. This is a, not a very nice experience for the very first uh, 
for you know developer trying to get it you know up yeah. and running like the developer that's working by himself or at home or something this isn't a great experience I really think that yeah. when there's nothing shown there they there really should be like a link like the samples are not installed if you want to install the samples click here and mm. you know it actually takes you through but, uh, yeah even my mum could get the samples up and running yeah what's your thoughts on the sample reports uh, I'd like to see a lot more for sure um, mm -hmm. I'd like you know I'd like to see some sample reports and uh, using security I'd like to see some sample reports uh, using best practices of um, uh, you know, solving a lot of the problems that, that they end up uh, having, such as sharing a common parts throughout a report. Um, uh, the math, you know, it's a typical question on how to have a hierarchy when you've got, say, managers having employees that have subordinates beneath them. There's mm -hmm. a whole series of additional reports yeah. I'd like to see them put there. So it looks cool. more like all the reports that, that you know, Mr. AdventureWorks needs for his company. Yeah. Do, do you tend to get the end users to use the uh, the standard browser interface that comes with the reporting services, or do you uh, wrap it in an application and call it from a web service? Ah, well, I will always say, uh, take what's free first. I <laughs> yeah. think the report manager is, is quite good. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, it's not very easy to customise and make it look the way you want it to look. And if you really want all that customisation, you're really going to have to make your own ASP web application. Um, yeah. I just see uh, working at a government department yesterday and see them trying to you know, put a whole lot of infrastructure into making the you know they don't want it to look like the report uh, the report manager. They would probably just yeah. like to put their own skin on it, which unfortunately you can't do. Uh, but really, when I you know spoke to them about this, you know, they've got a lot more problems to worry about. They've got a lot of reports they've got to write. They've got a lot of information that you know, um, mm. uh, 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 ministers need in, in that example. Yeah. And really, I think they should be focusing on number one, getting all their reports. Once you've got all your reports and all your data, then I would start worrying about that. Now that issue yeah. changes if you're going to start using reporting services on the web for. External people, yeah, or windfalls. I, I think you should always be using the built-in, uh, built-in report manager because mm. it's you get it for free. Yeah. Now the third one you had was: Does your report print and display on the web properly or correctly? Yeah, this is uh, something that I commonly see. Essentially, developers uh, make a report and they check it looks all right, but I don't think that should be finished until they've, uh, they've checked the prints okay. When we, we're doing our reporting applications for customers, our sign-off is actually printing the report and getting them to initial, initial like the print version. Yeah. I think that's much better. And I think it's uh, very common for developers to, to get it wrong. And I've basically put there the parameters you should change for uh, Australian and for uh, the US settings. Because we use uh, eight four page. Yeah, mostly in terms of getting page margins and things like that, right? So that's right. And if you yeah. design the report so that report is meant to be printed in landscape, you really need to put at the top of the report a little note or a tip. You can go tip column, uh, print this report in landscape. There's no point in uh, just having users having to just you know work that out or print it out incorrectly. 
Yeah, um, I must admit, in a lot of uh, WinForm type ones that I've been involved with, we tended to just generate them directly in PDF. And the nice, the the one nice thing with that in that regard as well is that it does do the auto landscape thing for you. So uh, they can literally right. just go print, print, and it just flips it around. But the the downside of doing it straight to PDF, I mean, again, the PDF is nice for saving and emailing and you know all those sort of things. Uh, but again, you, you don't then have the interactivity with the drill down and the, the things like that that you can do with the HTML report. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, well, I like mm. the way, that I, you know, even in a WinForms app, we don't go, uh, your approach. We actually open up. Yeah. Because, uh, I think there is different mm-hmm. horses for courses. I think if, if, yeah. uh, you know that all they're trying to do is print out uh, an invoice, then maybe yeah. that would be better just to open up. I was speaking to Mitch yeah. before. He was he was saying that uh, he never uses the PDF thing. He he thinks mm. uses a uh, a lot more interest in, in in getting the Excel data out so they can manipulate it and you know uh, get it the way they want it. Yeah, actually, what I've what I've seen in quite a few WinForm apps is, I mean, they they've you know there's like a prepare button or whatever, but they just simply have a radio button that says Excel or PDF. And if it's PDF, they launch a PDF to the screen where people can then save it or print it or you know, email it or whatever, um, or they've clicked the Is this Excel on a web thing. I know oh, that's in a WinForm app, I was saying. Yeah, so oh, okay. um, yeah. I've seen that commonly done. And um, the other thing that I find at the moment, uh, they tell me is one of the highest uh, rated requests on that is uh, to be able to have a different format that just provides the data um, on the Excel reports because uh, invariably I find that we end up having to write two reports for every report um, because you want one that's nicely formatted for printing and viewing and whatever, but but often people just simply want tables of data um, in the Excel report. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that, and uh, I think that every every report it would be really nice if you could just uh, go. You know, there was an option on the report where you could just uh, turn that report into XML, so you could just bind it something else. Yep. Or or turn that or put the you know a question mark uh, you know SQL so you could see yep. SQL was behind that report if you had permissions so mm-hmm. you know if a user wanted to check where that number came from or they wanted to um, uh, kind of expand on that take what you've got and then mm. you know make a few adjustments to it they should be able yep. to do that type of thing. And I like yeah. to see that really on, on you know web pages as well. Like you know, in many cases yeah. you're looking at data, and if you want to bind it, you sh- you know, and you don't mind if someone else binds to your data, you should be able to quickly be able to get the uh, the XML of that exact page. But and maybe we'll see that mm. with uh, if RSS takes off into mainstream yeah. web applications. Now the fourth one you had is: Do you include a useful footer at the bottom of the reports? Yeah, there's. Um, I, I typically see a footer. Sometimes all it has is uh, page one, and the next page is page two, page three. Yeah. So the first thing I like to, um, I, I like all all footers to look alike. Um, I think there should be mm-hmm. like a, a default footer that everybody gets. But the main things I like to see on the footer is I want to see the date and time printed. So if there's a few yep. copies stuck out in the printer for the last few days, you can get the most recent one. I want to know uh, who printed it, so I like it to actually say something like um, uh, printed by Adam Kogan on the date. Yep. Um, so you can you can just do that by using the the user ID the user yep. uh, user ID um, um, global variable. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I also like to see um, page one of ten. Yes. Uh, and uh, also, we always put a link to to the website so they know who wrote mm-hmm. it and who to who to comment to. You might put an email yep. address if there's a problem with the report. Um, and finally, I always put the execution time. Uh, mm-hmm. So basically, you just get the execution time, which is based on the date it finally got rendered, from the date it started, and you can see if you know if users complaining about how how slow a, a report is, and you see uh, you know in four seconds, you know that you you've got something wrong there, or if you can't improve yeah. it, you, you know you've got implementation. There's no there's yeah. no time really that, that uh, you sh- shouldn't have. I, I like getting the stats, and I think that you should be very conscious when you develop a report to always know those numbers. Yeah. Like, you know, when a web page loads, uh, you know how yeah. it puts at the very bottom in the, in the status bar, it's like, uh, I think it says completed or done or something, or loaded. Yeah. I always think it should done. actually yeah. put the time there. It took to load, like, five seconds loaded, you know, so that hmm. you could uh, see when pages were slow to load and, you know, a bit yeah. of extra half data rather than just done. Hmm. That's it. What about selection criteria for the report? Do you like to see that in a footer as well? Uh, yeah, that's uh, yes. I think uh, I'd really like it if you when you go into the parameters. Um, mm. Well, you go into the parameters and add a parameter that that automatically actually displays on the report as well in the header. Yeah. Because it's very common. Uh, actually, every single time we ever add a parameter, we always put it uh, in, the, in at the top of the report showing yeah. what they've selected because. If they've selected, say, a date range and then they export it to PDF and they print it, they don't know what they're looking at. They don't know no. what the filter is on that data. Yeah, I, I must admit, so I, I, it's, it. it's a thing I tend to put in the footer, but it's the same deal. I, I always like to see, you know, often I only put it in 8-pitch or something like that, but, I mean, I love to see the selection criteria uh, be be visible on the report. So. Yeah, I, I like it in the header because uh, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the first things that you would look at so you know what that data pertains to. If someone's looking at that, mm-hmm. data, you know, a series of invoices, um, yep. then they should. They, if it's in the footer, I don't think it would be that obvious to, hmm. uh, to the user. They'd probably try to start working out themselves. Oh, it looks like it starts at February and ends before March. Mm-hmm. That must be February's data. Uh, yep. Stuff that's not as important, I'd put in the foot, but I regard parameters mm. as pretty important. Yeah. No, that's good. And the fifth one you're saying to you use embedded charts in a table to generate a dynamic chart list. And uh, yeah. that, that um, one, yeah, I must admit, I, I do like the, the little graphics you have where instead of giving people a sea of numbers, you're giving them you know, a little graphic that is a good indication of the number instead. Or in, in addition, in fact, yeah. Yes. So I actually, this is an interesting thing. Um, I was even I was uh, uh, presenting yesterday on on some different reporting techniques, and uh, one of the one of the questions I ask is, do you um, have a wall of wall of numbers, or do you make the numbers more visual? And uh, mm. they said, yeah, they already make all the all the numbers visual. I thought that's interesting. So I went and looked at their real real reports, and they're exactly the way I did it. And uh, he, he hadn't picked up that I was from SSW and that uh, he'd got the tip from our So it's being implemented. But, but I actually, um, the first thing I, I do when I see a, a whole, basically a table of numbers, um, is I like to see it graphically. Um, yeah. Accountants are pretty much people that prefer seeing numbers. But, yeah. uh, but 
typically you see the way behind it is, oh, there's the numbers, but it would kind of look nice if it was in a, in a graph. So they put a graph at the bottom of the report. So they've got the numbers at the top in a table mm. and they've got a graph with the same numbers underneath. I think that there's a better approach to doing that. And um, what you can actually do, um, and the reason I don't like the graphs, uh, I'll just mention, is because yeah. it's pretty hard to make the graphs look decent based on how much data. So if there's only yes. one record or two records, the graphs look horrendous because they're massively big and fat. And if yeah. you've got hundreds of hundreds of records, but um, but you've uh, you've put it into a chart, you can barely read anything. Yeah, so what I do is I yeah. put a table and I drag the chart inside the table. So mm -hmm. you have the visual the visualness of how wide it is, plus you have the yeah. number. You can put the number in another column or you yeah. can put it as a, as a point in the chart. But uh, mm -hmm. you get you get the the best of both worlds and you don't need to you don't need to have a chart and a table. So if people just want to yeah. look at the numbers, they can see they want to do the chart, they visually see it. Now, yeah. this comes with one caveat. When you do this, um, for, and say someone says, oh, I like that chart, I think I'll have that scheduled to come into my inbox on the first of every month, so it might be sales report mm -hmm. or something. The report contains a lot of images, and the email that you receive from reporting services schedule is a fairly that type of email. It'll look fine, yeah. but as soon as you reply or you forward that email, basically Outlook, Outlook will become extremely slow or will even hang. Yeah. So you need to put, unfortunately, uh, a, a warning at the top of the report that says, uh, do not reply or forward this email, which yeah. isn't, isn't the greatest, but uh, no, it looks great. Mm. Um, I noticed number six. You say do you avoid showing empty reports? That's a, a, a simple but effective one. Yeah, um, I, I never like never like the idea where uh, people design a report that you must enter parameters before seeing the data. I, yep. I think that as a minimum, you can usually guess what they want to see. Now, unfortunately, the reason why a lot of you see a lot of reports with no default parameters is because the default, when you develop a report, uh, has nothing there. So you yeah. actually have to go the extra step and do it. But I believe you should go the extra step, and you should never just open up a report that that hasn't got default parameters. And in mm -hmm. it, and I guess um, when you're doing it, it's. You know, it's best to try to choose the most intelligent method you can to show something. So, yeah. you know, it might be showing products, so show the most, uh, most commonly sold product. Or if you're showing yeah. data, uh, show, you know, the current month of data or, or, or something Yeah, so like that. that's right, yeah. So if you've got a start date yeah. and end date, maybe show them from the beginning of the month to the current time if you think that's most of the time what they're going to want, yeah. Uh, I yeah, suppose I, the only... Like the only the only downside of that is that it ends up working that out, you know, and if that, I mean, if your defaults aren't good, that could have a kind of counterproductive effect. Yeah, so just uh, referring to that example you just gave, Ben, about the date data, mm. um, I like to drive the date data from data. So so typically yep. what, what um, developers will do is they'll say, oh, let me show the current month, and so they'll, they'll mm -hmm. use an expression and the expression will be looking at the, 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 
you know, now and go back yep. to the last month or something or use the current month or whatever. Um, mm. I prefer to show that based on what the data is. So I will actually not use an expression. I will use... Um, I will date drive that data, so it will look at the maximum date in the in the report. Yep. Um, and less a month. So, so do you follow what I mean? So if, if yeah. the so let's just say that um, there's no data in that for the last few months for some reason. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it would just go back to the very last month that had data. Yep. So I get some length to make sure that uh, it's always showing some default data. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I must admit, one of the other things uh, I've often ended up doing is that if you have reports that are kind of like, uh, you know, showing a month or something, I mean, again, I try and make a decision based upon what day of the month it is at the moment as to what they probably want to see. You know, um, yeah. Yeah, rather than just assuming that on the second of the month they really want to see the first and the second, they, they may well want to see the previous month, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, and for that reason, it would be very nice to be able to, not that you can, but to be able to know what the last um, the last parameters they used were and be able to cache them, but unfortunately we can't, yes. so we have to go to some length to, to make sure we're showing something relevant, yeah. showing salespeople, show the top salesperson, you know. Yeah. And with the parameters, you're saying, of course, all was set default parameters. And that and uh, yep, so yep, I think yeah, that one's very straightforward. And but the date time data for the date parameters. Yeah, like I like and I was the string type. Ah um, uh, oh, yes. So so uh, one of the one of the things that when you're one of the the, the things is about the one of the only things that I can think of that drives me nuts is that you can't modif you can't have much control over the parameters at the top. So yeah. um, ideally, I'd like um, to be able to display is, is you know enter the data in mm slash dd or enter the data dd slash mm. You know we know that uh, yep. uh, the Americans have got a lot to answer for for this craziness of months before <laughs> days, uh, and there's no visual way for a user to actually know which way they're entering, and. Yeah. Uh, uh, actually, I remember many, many years ago when I realised that that SQL had to be passed in, uh, like a where clause with a date had to be passed, in, reformatted, and passed in as mm slash dd. Uh, I think um, I think that the rest of the world should take out a class action on uh, on the US <laughs> citizens to make sure. That yeah, I must admit it, it's. Uh, I always point people at Tibor Karazzi's site, uh, karazzi.com, uh, K-A-R-E-S-Z-I.com, where uh, on that he's got a link to some articles and Tibor's got a, uh, a really good article called The Ultimate Guide to the Date-Time Data Type. And uh, oh, really? um, that I, I think it should be compulsory reading for all developers. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I think the a... thing that that isn't often understood is that outside the U.S., the... Uh, I think the most common misconfiguration on on PCs, for example, is the culture or the the, the locale type info, or regional settings yeah. type things. So and, uh, I'm all for consistency, yeah. and uh, I don't know if you know that. I think George Bush, in the very beginning of his tenure, um, uh, made uh, a little bit of um, noise around whether they could, uh, you know, convert to metric and uh, looked at the date times, whether they would change that. But, uh, ah, the think, metric uh, discussion, yes. Yeah. 
they weren't seen. Well, listen, anyway, that's, that's a good point to take a, a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the last few of the rules. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Welcome back from the break. And so, Adam, if, uh, what I might do is just get if there's anything you're willing to share with us, just about your, yourself or where you live or uh, interests or hobbies or anything like that. Oh, yes. Uh, well, I guess um, my hobbies after, after parenting um, are my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got uh, one, two, and one, four, and I've just been helping my my little four-year-old. She had to pass an entrance exam to get into one of the there's a private school in Sydney. Uh, I think all of them have these entrance exams, so she had to had to teach her there. Actually, that's you know, amazing. You know, I I was uh, I, I was uh, should tell the listeners I was at Oz Fox on the weekend with Adam, and uh, uh, you were sort of mentioning that I, I I didn't think I'd ever heard of an entrance exam for uh, for kindies and things. So it it really is serious. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, I don't know. It's not that complicated for us. You only have to count to 30, and you have to be able to do some simple math from, you know, add two and two, and you get four. Yep. And uh, count eight of it, and uh, be able to recognize what is that, and, you know, and what color is his shoes and things like that. So, yeah. Um, I was trying, I was madly trying to sit in bed with her and teach her lots of things, and uh, she uh, she started mucking up and st- stopped doing it, so I... I threw the book on the bed and I said, "All right, well, that's it. I'm not, I'm not uh, reading you any more of this, and I'm not, I'm working with you on this." <laughs> and uh, she said, oh, "But Daddy, I'm just a little girl. I'm trying so hard." <laughs> that's, it just struck me that we you used to like not learn things until you went to school, and then they added kindergarten in front and uh, and sort of preschool type things, and then they slowly moved more and more learning down to that. But the idea of then having an entrance exam for the for the uh, the, the kindergarten—it's just—it's it's getting a bit tough on the poor old kids. You know? Well, <laughs> it's yeah, it's getting younger but, uh, and younger. They have a lot yeah. of applicants, and uh, yeah. you know they're completely full, so I may as well take the the best. But I think they were half interviewing mum um, and dad at the same time, so. Uh, I, I hope uh, I hope I didn't destroy your chances. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Well, listen on the um, on the the next of your errors, you, you're also uh, or suggestions. You're saying, do you show errors in red? Okay, so yes, I believe you should be showing uh, errors in red. It's probably not just good enough that you just show a message that uh, there's there's no records there. I think it, mm-hmm. what I do is I uh, put a, a a red box uh, with a red yeah. icon. And uh, a whole series uh, and the message there. I think as soon as it comes up visually, there's there's nothing there. Uh, just yeah. like the you know, the red and you know, the red crosses and the green ticks, they're they're great yeah. for UI. Yeah. A little bit of extra trouble, but they're worth it. Oh, that's that's good. And you also said um, on on the note of errors and things, you also said do you validate all your reports? Oh, yes. You know what I wish the reporting services had. I wish that you could. Um, 
just press compile and just check everything's right. So I could develop yeah. up, say, 20 reports, and by the time I've got to my last report, the only way of checking all the other reports are still okay, and that because you know, sometimes you're making some schema changes and things, is to actually yeah. run every single report. So um, I would like to be, you know, find out about the errors without running them. So what yeah. I uh, did is I wrote uh, a utility, and uh, we always install this on our client's uh, machines, and you can download it from our, our site. It's called the mm-hmm. SSW SQL Reporting Services Auditor. It's a bit of a mouthful yep. for a product name. Um, but basically what it does is it installs a web application and a, and a, and a RDL file to your reporting yep. server, and it cycles through every single report and opens it and checks whether they're all right. So it gives you a big list of green ticks and red crosses and yellow warning signs where it can't work it out. Now, the only time it can't work it out is if you don't have a default value specified. Oh, yeah, so or what you're checking is you're saying, if if I call the report with the default parameters, does it actually run? Yes, correct. Yeah, and of course the, the real impact of that is, again, is if there's underlying schema changes or all sorts of things that might otherwise break the report, but you've got no way of picking that up until you run it. And this is becoming more and more commonplace, uh, the fact that with uh, SQL, 2000, SQL 2005 reporting services has the ability to bind... To uh, XML, which starts meaning yeah. that you can have your data coming from lots of places. That schema could potentially change, and even though you, when you when you deployed it was working, uh, later on it could not start. You know, it could stop working. So it'd be better to set this type of report up on a schedule. Obviously, it's a little bit of a performance impact if, um, yeah. if it's heavy, uh, and set it up on a schedule to email you whenever there's not a green tick. And uh, this is. Uh, also beneficial because it actually gives you the time each each report took to run. So if yeah. a report is taking too long to run, then you should consider implementing caching on the report or yeah. a snapshot or something. That's great. And you've also got to do your denormalized database fields for calculated values. Yeah, this is um this is a, a difficult one, but. And uh, talking to a database purist like you, I'm not sure what you'll think of this, but one, <laughs> one of the things that often happens is when you're writing a report, uh, you can do some very cool things with your expressions. You can do beautiful things. You can make uh, values that are negative in red or things that are yeah. below the budget in red, and you can hide tables based on the customer's category. You can... Um, you know, highlight other things. You can the expression part of it is so powerful, but I strongly believe that the expression should only be done used for formatting, for for making changing colours, hiding yep. things, things like that. Um, I I see business rules being implemented in these expression, and I don't like it at all. You might have um, uh, a you might want to put a total figure on there, but the database doesn't store the um, the, the tax. So, or the database doesn't store the total. So you end up doing a calculation of the of the items with uh, adding on your own tax and some if clause there based mm. on certain states, and uh, then putting the total figure there. Now, the right way yeah. to do it, I guess, is to call out to the um, the middle tier object where mm-hmm. it has your business rules in it. But that becomes quite. Uh, 
users typically don't do it or developers don't always do it. They can't be bothered. It's, uh, to, yeah. They have to add a reference to the assembly and then they have to put the expression there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm more of the opinion to put a denormalized field in the, in the table. Um, like in the invoice table, I'll put a total figure there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're doing the reporting, it's a lot simpler that you'll always get it. Now, Well, I suppose one of the things... I was going to say, one of the things you've got with SQL Server 2005, you've now also got persisted calculated fields, so it, it wouldn't even necessarily have to... Uh, and you, you've also got the option for calculated fields that aren't persisted, so you, you've got those options as well where you could actually apply the logic, actually have the logic in the database, make it look like a field, but but may or may not actually have it stored as well. Yeah, so that's, that's basically... Um for those people that are too stingy to worry about um, uh, disk space usage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but if you don't care about disk space usage, put the denormalized field there. But um, the, the benefit with uh, what you've just suggested is the field is not going to become out of sync with the data. Yeah. Uh, if you put a denormalized field, you have that potential where you've got um, uh, stale data there or, or incorrect yeah. data. So what we always do when we actually store it is we write another uh, check. We put a stored procedure in the database called PROC validate. In this case, it would be you know, invoice underscore um, uh, total. And yep. that, that stored procedure returns a record if the total doesn't equal the sum of the items with the calculation. Mm-hmm. So if any application is somehow or someone's imported data or something, uh, that that uh, stored procedure will alert us that something's yeah. going wrong. And we, yeah, oh, so I mean, that's always the problem. If, if, yeah, if you're going to store that separately, uh, that's right, you've always got then the potential maintenance issues where I must admit if you can do it with a calculated field, that's sweet because it, uh, that's right, I mean, it's just done on the fly every time as required or... Uh, or even if it's persisted, the, the database keeps it in sync for you. But the uh, I must yeah. admit, probably having a... Yeah, I suppose it, uh, with a lot of people, it depends also on level of comfort with things like T-SQL. But, for example, one of the things I find myself in, invariably doing with reporting services is uh, I kind of like to try and write an expression uh, or a T-SQL statement that returns the data in a pretty good format, uh, uh, form so that really all that's happening in the report, as you say, is things like formatting and stuff like that. Um, but all of the, you know, calculations and how things are done and stuff like that, I, I actually try and have that in the in the statements or whatever that, uh, or the proc or whatever that returns the data yeah. for the for the for the yeah. uh, report. But typically they're writing their own. And I think I, I, I guess my feeling is this: if, if they're using SQL 2000 or another database. Use the normal field if, if they're using 2005. Um, go ahead and use the um, the calculated fields. Mm. Well, calculated ones were there in 2000, but you just didn't have the option to persist them. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. So number 12, you're saying, do you create a separate virtual directory for admin access? Yeah, reporting services isn't that that nice or that easy to put it out on a uh, for public access. I mean, what you really want mm-hmm. is you want, uh, if someone's internal, you want them to go to the reporting services and, and authenticate with their um, 
disk directory. If they're ex if yep. they're external, uh, you want to give them, say, anonymous access. If if there's reports there that anyone can view. Um, so what we do is we create a um, uh, two websites, and uh, there's a whole series of steps there listed that explain to you that you basically copy the uh, the report the reporting um, the report manager folder to another folder, and you duplicate yeah. the the security settings. You cha you edit the config folder point point to the um, to the other port like. Uh, HTTP colon slash slash uh, server colon 81 slash report server. So the report server yep. uh, has its own config file in, in its own directory. Um, and uh, then you set the security to, to use uh, integrated for the secure one. And mm. I guess I guess the, the note here that, um, that Mitch pointed out to me a bit before is what do you do when you know, there's a service pack or you run through all yeah. the steps again every time you get a service pack. Yeah. So not ideal, but uh, it's it's uh, it's one. Although way again, to uh, a bit easier nowadays, given the fact you can script all of that sort of stuff. And uh, that's and right. I might add, uh, and I might add with Mitch's new fa uh, favorite thing being Monad as well, the uh, the new Windows shell. I mean, it's even easier to do uh, that that sort of thing. So yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, that's right. Um, You've also mentioned a thirteenth one. You're saying do you cache popular reports for better performance? Yeah, we've kind of we've kind of touched on this, but it's never mm. okay for a report to take three minutes to render and display to a user. So in any case, any any report that's going to take more than twenty seconds really should be um, implementing caching. Um, yeah. And you know, it's it's very what are you nice. Saying you that it's like ASP.NET, except with ASP.NET, you really need a developer to go and implement that on the on the pages. Yeah. With reporting services, you just go in there, go to the properties, click on execution, and done. Yeah. Uh, nice and easy. Or you're saying in the next one, if the thing really, really is going to take a long time, that scheduling the the report or something like that is a better option, uh, or scheduling right. a snapshot of the report. Yeah. The yeah, um, yes, in fact, one of the you things I find a yeah, I, I often find one of the things that uh, whenever you get people asking odd questions, you know, there's something weird going on. I, I had a class a little while ago where one of the guys was talking about, you know, how how can you seriously increase the uh, the timeout on ASPX pages and things like that. And I was sort of talking about, like, you know, I was a bit interested in, you know, how how much and... And then he was sort of saying, well, you know, three or four hours. <laughs> and I was saying, like, uh, part, pardon? <laughs> yeah. and, and again, they, they had reports that took two and a half hours to run, but the, the internal decree was that they had to do all of these things straight off a standard web page. And it was sort of, he was trying to work out how to, you know, let somebody click on a thing and then come back, you know, three hours later in the page it appear. And I'm saying, look, yeah, yeah, yeah. you might, you might want to rethink that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when you're used to using a hammer, everything looks like a nail and he's trying to do it all for the, for the job. That's good. Listen, the the other one, the last of the ones you mentioned on here, uh, you said, do you take advantage of integrated security? And you're saying specifically to do payroll reports. Yeah. Uh, well, typically when you're uh, when you've got anything that's uh, half sensitive, uh, um, don't display even the ability that that the user can even see uh, just even the names of the others. So. Yeah. Uh, Google will change that so you, you can use the built-in uh, user user ID and 
uh, they just see what what they're getting. Yeah, yeah. I think the the, the basic rule on any security thing is that's right. Is you you want to avoid people being uh, curious as well. So yeah, you, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, don't show them things they can't do rather than trying to stop them doing it. Yeah, so that's great. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Thanks for those. The the uh, I suppose the other thing would be interesting to know, just what have you got coming up? Uh, where can people see you or what are you doing or presentations right. or things happening? Oh, well, I might, um, uh, if you don't mind, I might just talk about one more thing that we haven't really touched on with, um, yeah. to do with reporting services. Um, mm-hmm. And this is the, the issue of actually using reporting services inside a real web application. Yeah. Uh, having a, uh, I don't really have... Um, uh, a rule on this, but uh, kind of a discussion, more like uh, tactics. And I don't mean... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I've just been listening to a few tactics on the Commonwealth Games uh, where they ask uh, ask the runners at the beginning, you know, for the 100-meter. So what's your tactic for for this 100-meter uh, <laughs> race? Always, always fun. Yeah. Run like crazy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, you swimmers. Uh, this is a fast pool, so I'm going to be... Oh, my goodness. What is a fast pool? I haven't seen one. <laughs> Yeah, a hundred meter race. Yeah, it's all over in nine seconds or something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very, very strange. So, uh, I guess I have uh, I, uh, nothing specific here, but uh, there is the situation where you can put reports embedded in a in a web page. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess the the question is here: When can you use reporting services, or when is when is it appropriate to use reporting services, and when is it appropriate to use just an ASP.NET web application. Um, Now, uh, all I can kind of say is that my my feeling on this is that reporting services is much faster to develop a page, a read-only page in reporting services if you have to do 100 of them compared with ASP.NET. The maintenance is going to be easy in reporting services because uh, typically there's there's no code or very little code. Yeah. Um, when you need to do report uh, like groups, you know, headers and groupings and totals in each section, yeah. then reporting services is miles faster. You don't have to iterate yeah. through the data set, keeping variables or whatever you're doing. No. Uh, adding parameters, you're going to be adding parameters with ASP.NET. You're going to be adding code to do the same thing. Yep. And for the user, the user gets the ability for that data that they're looking at to, to automatically export to PDF or Excel. Um, mm. and uh, that's all for free or other popular formats. Uh, also, they could subscribe to, to that report. Uh, that, so you can't just go to a web page and say, I'd like that delivered to my inbox unless it's RSS-driven. Yeah. So uh, I think that's some very good things. Some of the, the bad things is you're forced to use the, the built-in parameter control if you don't mm. like it. You don't have much flexibility the you have the issue where the user would like to say, can you put a, you know, on those date controls, they're good, but can you put a little link there that goes back a month or forward a month? Yeah. You've got no flexibility to do things like that. Yeah. Um, and also with reporting services, you don't get to see the query string. Uh, and you can with mm-hmm. ASP.NET, which that personally drives me completely bonkers. Yeah. Um, and then you've got all the potential difficulties with deployment with ASP with uh, reporting services. Yeah, so, as a separate thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess um, I, I I haven't seen 
reporting services used much out there on the web. I think there's some mm-hmm. compelling arguments that it could be. Um, but definitely, if the data is uh, read-only, then uh, it's worth considering if you can get, if you can get yourself over the the deployment hump. Hmm. Great. What's your thoughts on that, Greg? Yeah, look, I, I I tend to think so. I I must admit, most of the time, I kind of like having a little more control over parameters and all those sorts of things. So. My inclination, uh, if I have the time, is always to wrap it in something else. Um, yeah, but, you know that's a that's a personal preference. Yeah. But but the actual wrapping of it now changes a little bit with 2005. How you can actually you know you've got the the built-in controls in Visual Studio, so you can actually embed mm. it right in the page and, and control it yeah. from an ASP.NET page. So um, I, I think I think. It's not. It's not clear which way should be the best way. Uh, no, and, and in fact, scary, that's right. There's particularly even I'm imagining even with things like Ajax things. I mean, you could uh, you, you could rip out and you know keep grabbing and re-rendering a report in the middle of a region in the middle of a an ASPX page and things like that too. You know, it. Uh, um, yeah. So I mean, you know that that might produce some powerful sort of scenarios. You know where. Again, I, I think if, if the, the formatting of the report and stuff, if the, 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 there's a lot of work that reporting service is doing for you, it's just got to be worth using instead of just trying to do it yourself in ASP. Right. So, yeah, uh, to answer your question before about what I'm doing. Mm. Um, yeah, so what's, what's stuff, coming up? Uh, well, I run, my, I run my user group in, in Sydney, so uh, the yes. carrying on doing my user group. Uh, also yep. going to be doing one in Adelaide, one in uh, mm-hmm. Malaysia, and Japan. So that's uh, oh, oh, and Code Camp. I'm going to be and Code uh, Camp, of course, yes. Going to to our great Code Camp. Uh, I'm actually going to be riding my push bike there. So I, I, yes, you're great. saying that's outstanding. Uh, no, I yeah, I, I probably should, but yeah, I'd, I'd die before I got there. Yeah, so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I love the idea that you're riding the push bike out there for. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll almost have to post in the show notes or something something that shows people where Wagga is. Yes, <laughs> so, uh, so I might be I might uh, be working on Mitch over lunch, trying to uh, <laughs> talk him into into that. He was he was trying to talk me into going down to the new Krispy Kreme donut place, but uh, instead I think that won't uh, go I'll with the bike ride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. See you, Greg. That's great. Uh, Bye.